The Contract Myth The mythology surrounding the Constitution alleges that it serves some sort of contract between people and their new servants in Congress. But there is not a shred of truth to that. One cannot, by signing a contract, bind someone else to an agreement. The idea that a few dozen white male wealthy landowners could enter into an agreement on behalf of over two million other people is absurd. Furthermore, no contract can create a right held by none of the participants, which is what all government constitutions pretend to do. The form of the document makes it clear that it was not an actual contract, but an attempt to fabricate out of thin air the right to rule. However limited it was intended to be, an actual agreement by contract is a fundamentally different thing from a document purporting to create a government. For example, if a thousand American colonists had signed an agreement saying, We agree to give you a tenth of what we produce in exchange for the protection services of the George Washington Protection Company, they could be morally bound by such an agreement. Making an agreement and breaching it is a form of theft akin to going to a store and taking something without paying for it. But they could not bind anyone else to the agreement, nor could they use such an agreement to give the George Washington Protection Company the right to start robbing or otherwise controlling people who had nothing to do with the contract. Also, while the Constitution pretends to authorize Congress to do various things, it does not actually require Congress to do anything. Who in their right mind would sign a contract which did not bind the other party to do anything? In DeShaney v. Winnebago, 489 U.S. 189, the Supreme Court officially declared that the government has no actual duty to protect the public. The result is that the Constitution, rather than being a brilliant, useful, valid contract, was an insane attempt by a handful of men to unilaterally subject millions of other people to the control of the machine of aggression in exchange for no guarantee of anything. The fact that millions of constitutionalists are desperately trying to get back to that in hopes that it can save their country if people try it again, after it utterly failed the first time, is a testament to the power and insanity of the superstition of authority. Part 4. Life Without the Superstition The Solution Nearly everyone can see at least some problems with the government he lives under, whether it be corruption, warmongering, socialist redistribution, police state intrusions, or other oppressions, and many are desperate to find a solution to such problems, so they vote for this or that candidate, support this or that political movement or party lobby for or against this or that legislation, and almost always end up disappointed with the results. They can easily identify and complain about the various problems, but an actual solution always eludes them. The reason they are always disappointed is because the problem does not reside in the people called government. It resides in the minds of their victims. Tinkering with government cannot fix a problem that does not come from government. The dissatisfied voter fails to realize that it is his own view of reality, his own belief in authority, that is the root cause of most of society's problems. 
He believes that a ruling class is a natural, necessary, beneficial part of human society. And so all of his efforts focus on bickering over who should be in charge and on what the power of government should be used for. When he thinks of solutions, he thinks inside the box of statism. As a result, he is powerless from the beginning, begging masters to be nice or asking for a new master never leads to freedom. Instead, such behaviors are clear indications that the person is not even free inside his own mind. And a man whose mind is not free will never be free in body. People are so accustomed to engaging in the cult rituals collectivity referred to as politics, voting, lobbying, petitioning, campaigning, etc., that any suggestion that they not bother participating in such pointless and impotent endeavors amounts in their eyes to suggesting that they do nothing because they view voting, whining, and begging as the entire spectrum of possibilities open to them when it comes to government. They are unable to even comprehend anything that might actually accomplish freedom. So, when a voluntarist or an anarchist explains both the problem and the way out of it, but without presenting a new candidate to vote for, a new political party to support, or some new movement or campaign to get behind, in other words, without proposing anything that coincides with the superstition of government and authority, the average statist will complain that no solutions were offered. From their perspective, Anyone who does not play the game of politics within the rules set down by the ruling class is doing nothing. They enthusiastically declare, you have to participate. They fail to realize that participating in the game created and controlled by tyrants is doing nothing. Nothing useful, at least. In truth, rather than some event needing to occur, or some particular thing needing to be done, the real solution, the only solution to the problems involving government, comes from not doing certain things, and from certain things not happening. In one sense, there is no positive, active solution to government. The ultimate solution is negative and passive. Stop advocating aggression against your neighbors. Stop engaging in rituals that condone the initiation of violence and reinforce the notion that some people have the right to rule. Stop thinking and speaking and acting in ways that reinforce the myth that normal people should be, and must be, beholden to some master, and should obey such a master rather than follow their own consciences. When people stop bowing at the altar of government, stop playing the game of tyrants, Stop respecting arbitrary rules when written by megalomaniacs. The problem will go away on its own. Being a mythical entity, authority, does not need to be overthrown or voted out or reformed. The people need only to stop imagining something that is not there and never was. If the people stopped allowing an irrational superstition to warp their perceptions, their actions would immediately and dramatically improve. Most aggression, which is now done in the name of authority, would cease. No one would issue commands, enforce commands, or feel an obligation to obey commands. 
unless the commands themselves were seen as inherently justified based upon the situation, not based upon the one giving the command, or his supposed authority. That alone would eliminate the vast majority of theft, extortion, intimidation, harassment, coercion, terrorism, assault, and murder, which human beings now perpetrate against one another. When the people recognize and accept no master, they will have no master. Ultimately, their bondage and the means to escape it exists entirely in their own minds. Human society does not need anything added to fix most of its problems, nor does it need the institution of some new system or the implementation of some new master plan. Instead, it needs to have one thing, one all-persuasive, extremely destructive thing, removed from society. The belief in authority and government. What will make things work is not any centralized plan, not any authoritarian agenda, but the mutually voluntary interaction of many individuals, each serving his own values and following his own conscience. Of course, this does not fit at all with the way almost everyone was trained to think, that society needs a master plan with leaders who will make it happen. In truth, what society needs the most is a complete lack of a master plan and the complete absence of authoritarian leaders to whom the people must surrender their free will and judgment. The solution is not to add some new thing to society, but simply to understand and dispel the most dangerous superstition. Reality is Anarchy Many people have become anarchists, advocates of a voluntary society without a ruling class, after having come to the conclusion that a society would be more prosperous and more peaceful, and would enjoy more justice and security without any government at all. However, that is somewhat akin to an individual deciding after careful analysis that Christmas would work better without Santa Claus. If Santa Claus is not real, it is pointless to have a debate about whether he is needed in order for Christmas to work. If Christmas works at all, it already works without Santa. And so it is with the usual debate between government and anarchy. Government does not exist. It never has and never will, which can be proven using logic that does not at all depend upon any individual's moral beliefs. To quickly review, people cannot delegate a right they do not have, which makes it impossible for anyone to acquire the right to rule, authority. Also, people cannot alter morality, which makes the laws of government devoid of any inherent authority. Therefore, authority, the right to rule, cannot logically exist. The concept itself is self-contradictory. Like the concept of a militant pacifist, a human being cannot have superhuman rights, and therefore, no one can have the inherent right to rule. A person cannot be morally obligated to ignore his own moral judgment. Therefore, no one can have the inherent obligation to obey another. And those two ingredients, the ruler's right to command and the subject's obligation to obey, are the heart and soul of the concept of authority, without which it cannot exist. 
and without authority there is no government. If the control which the gang called government exerts over others is without legitimacy, it is not government, and its commands are not laws. Without the right to rule, and a simultaneous moral obligation to obey on the part of the masses, the organization called government is nothing more than a gang of thugs, thieves, and murderers. Government is an impossibility. It's simply not an option, any more than Santa Claus is an option. And insisting that it is necessary, when it does not and cannot even exist, or predicting doom and gloom if we do not have the mythical entity, does not change the fact. To argue that human beings need to have a rightful ruler, one with the moral right to forcibly control all others, and one whom all others are obligated to obey, does not change the fact that there is no such thing and can be no such thing. As such, the purpose of this final chapter is not to merely argue that society would work better without the fiction called government, but to introduce the reader the ways in which people will perceive reality differently, think differently, behave differently, and interact differently. Very differently indeed. Once they give up the most dangerous superstition, the belief in authority, anarchy, meaning an absence of government, is what is. It is what has always been and will always be. When people accept the truth and stop hallucinating a creature called authority, they will stop behaving in the irrational and destructive manner they do now. Almost everyone, at least to begin with, has difficulty thinking clearly about such a concept, because every politician and every government is constantly proposing solutions that deal with how society would be organized, managed, and controlled through a centralized, authoritarian system. Most people do not even know how to mentally process the idea of a complete lack of any forcibly imposed system. They instinctively ask such things as, how would the roads work? Or how would we defend ourselves? The truth is that no one can know how everything would work or exactly what would happen. Individuals can make suggestions about how things should work, or predictions about how things might work, but no one can possibly know the best way for everything to work. Despite the huge amount of uncertainty this creates, the historical track record of people living in freedom is far better than any centralized, managed solution has ever been. However, statists have been trained to be terrified of this infinitely more complex type of society, where there is not one master plan, but billions of individual plans, interacting with each other in innumerable different ways. To them, that means chaos. And in a way, it is chaos. In the sense that there is no single guiding idea, no single controlling entity. This does not mean that people cannot make agreements or work together or cooperate and find compromises. Instead, it means that each person will view his life as an adult instead of throwing away his free will and responsibility to blindly follow someone else's agenda. As an aside, even without the authority superstition, there would still be leaders and followers, but it would usually be actual leadership, where one person leads by example by demonstrating a level of intelligence compassion, or courage which inspires others to behave similarly. That is a very different phenomenon from what is usually dubbed leadership today. When people talk of the leaders of countries, 
they're talking about people coercively controlling millions of others. The term leader of the free world, when talking about a government official, is inaccurate and self-contradictory. Politicians do not lead by example. If anything, they set an example of how to be dishonest, conniving, narcissistic, and power-happy. They say what people want to hear in order to dominate and control them. To call such people leaders is as ridiculous as calling thieves producers, or calling murderers healers. In the absence of the belief in government, real leaders could emerge. People who claim no right to rule, no right to force anyone else to follow them, but whose virtues and actions others recognize as being worth emulating. No one can predict and no one will control everything that will happen in the world without the myth of government. The following is not therefore intended to be a complete explanation of how every piece of human society would work once the authority myth is gone. Instead, it's an introduction to a few of the ways in which human beings might stop allowing in irrational superstition to distort their thinking and pervert their behavior, and might start behaving as rational, free beings, driven by their own free will and individual judgment, as they ought to be. Fear of Freedom Most people live their lives surrounded by authoritarian hierarchies, from families to schools to businesses to all levels of government. As a result, most people have a hard time even beginning to imagine a leaderless civilization, a society of equals, an existence devoid of rulers, a world without legislators and their laws. The very thought in most people's minds conjures up images of chaos and mayhem. People are comfortable with whatever they are accustomed to and fear the unknown. People are so attached to whatever is familiar to them that even those who live in very high crime areas or war zones rarely leave the world they know to search for something better. Similarly, it is a well-documented fact that some long-term prisoners develop a fear of being released and when they are, commit further crimes with the intention of being sent back to prison. Even slaves can exhibit a dread of being freed. This is because the life of a prisoner or a slave, though not likely fulfilling, is predictable. And imagining a new, drastically changed life, in a strange place, among strangers, with all of the related uncertainties, how will I eat, where will I live, what will I be like, Will I be safe? Scares almost everyone. So it is when most people contemplate human society without a ruling class. The concept is so foreign to everyone they have ever known and have ever thought about, and everything they were taught is necessary and good, that they hardly know how to begin to imagine it. Even our very language illustrates our fear of living in a society as free equals, because such a state is defined as anarchy, a term also used to describe chaos and destruction. We have grown so accustomed to the mental cage which the myth of authority has formed around each of us that most of us are terrified of the idea of life without that cage. We are literally afraid of our own freedom, and some people will work hard to reinforce that fear. Those who benefit the most from the myth of authority 
those who crave domination over others, and the unearned wealth and power it gives them, are constantly pushing the message that life without them in charge would mean constant pain and suffering for everyone. Just about anything people can be afraid of. Crime, poverty, disease, invasion, environmental disasters, etc. has been used by tyrants to scare people into subservience. The details vary, but the template of the message from the tyrants is always the same. If you do not give us power over you so that we can protect you, you will suffer horribly. That message, combined with man's inherent fear of the unknown, has allowed for an incomprehensible level of oppression, theft, and outright murder, lasting generation after generation. All around the world, ironically, it has been the empty promise of protection against suffering and injustice which has duped so many people into accepting the very thing which has caused more suffering and injustice than anything else in history, the belief in government. It seems strange that any thinking human being would not be naturally open and receptive to the idea that he owns himself and should be in charge of his own life, unhindered by any human authority. However, the average person who hears such a message often lashes out at the messenger, insists that actual freedom, a world without masters and subjects, would mean chaos and destruction, and then vehemently advocates the continued enslavement of all of mankind, including himself. He does so not based upon any rational thought or evidence or experience, but based upon his own deep-seated existential terror of the unknown. The unknown, in this case, is being a society of equals instead of masters and subjects. He has never seen it in action on a large scale, and has never thought about it, cannot imagine it, and therefore fears it. And those who desire domination over others are constantly reinforcing and encouraging that fear in those they seek to subjugate. Seeing a Different World when someone who has been indoctrinated into the cult of authority finally disentangles himself from the superstition, the first thing that happens is that he sees a drastically different reality. When he observes the effects of the authority superstition, which infiltrate nearly every aspect of most people's lives, he sees things as they actually are, not as he had formerly imagined them to be. Most of the time, when he sees so-called law enforcement in action, he recognizes it as raw, illegitimate, and immoral thuggery being used to extort and control people in order to serve the will of the politicians. The exception to this is when the police use force to stop others who are actually guilty of acts of aggression. Ironically, the very acts which the police routinely commit for their ruling class when the recovering statist watches various political rituals, whether a presidential election, a legislative debate in Congress, or a local zoning board passing some new ordinance, he sees it for what it is, the acting out of delusions and hallucinations by people who have been indoctrinated into a completely irrational cult. Any discussions in the media of what public policy should be, or which representatives should be elected, or what legislation should be enacted, appear to one who has escaped the superstition 
exactly as useful and rational as well-dressed, attractive, respectable-looking people seriously discussing how Santa Claus should handle the next Christmas. To one who has escaped the myth of authority, the premise upon which all political discussion rests disintegrates, and every bit of the rhetoric which stems from the superstition is recognized as being utterly insane. The unindoctrinated individual sees every campaign speech, every political argument, every discussion in the news about anything political, every CNN broadcast of another debate on the House floor over some new piece of legislation as a display of symptoms of profound delusions due to the blind acceptance of utterly asinine, cult-like dogma, all voting, campaigning, writing to one's congressman, signing petitions, suddenly appear no more rational or useful than praying to a volcano god to grant its blessings to the tribe. One who has been deprogrammed not only sees futility in all political action, but sees that such actions, no matter what their intended goals, actually reinforce the superstition, just as everyone in a tribe praying to a volcano god would reinforce the idea that there is a volcano god, so begging politicians for favors reinforces the idea that there is a rightful ruling class, that their commands are law, and that their obedience to such laws is a moral imperative. Those whom most people now regard with great respect, and who are often called honorable, are recognized as delusional, God-complex lunatics by those who have escaped the authority myth. The unindoctrinated would take no more pride in shaking the president's hand than he would in shaking the hand of any other psychotic, narcissistic mass murderer. The men who wear black dresses and wield wooden hammers and refer to themselves as the court are seen as the madmen they are. Those who wear badges and uniforms and imagine themselves to be something other than mere human beings, are not seen by the deprogrammed as noble warriors of law and order, but as confused souls suffering from what is little more than a mental disorder. Of course, those who have given up the superstition of authority can still fear the damage that those megalomaniacs and their mercenaries, soldiers and police, are capable of inflicting but the mercenaries' actions are no longer seen as being in any way legitimate or rational or moral. Those who have escaped the myth begin to see that those whose actions are influenced by their official badge are as dangerous as the people who are high on PCP, and for the same reason, because they are hallucinating a reality which is not there, which leads them to act out violently, unrestrained by a rational thought process. Those who have escaped the authority superstition, when confronted by a police officer, may still act as they would if confronted by a rabid dog, speaking softly, behaving in a submissive manner, and not making any sudden movements. But it is not out of respect for either the law enforcer or the rabid dog. It is out of the fear of the danger posed by a brain that is malfunctioning because it is infected by a destructive disease be it rabies or the belief in authority. When believers in authority commit acts of aggression, imagining such acts to be righteous because they are called law, their targets have few options. When a tax collector or a police officer or some other officer of the will of politicians attempts to extort, harass, 
control, or assault those who have escaped the myth of authority. The targets of the legal aggression can either go along with what they know to be injustice, or they can try to somehow circumvent or hide from the legal aggressors, or they can forcibly resist the aggressors. It is unfortunate that the last option is ever necessary, because though using defensive force is morally justified, even when illegal, it is sad that one good person would ever have to use violence against another good person simply because the latter has had his perception of right and wrong twisted and perverted by an irrational superstition. Even the murderous thugs of the most brutal regimes in history, due to their faith in the authority myth, thought they were doing their duty. They thought, on some level, that their actions were noble and righteous, or they would not have committed them. Such mindless loyalty to authority often leaves the intended victims with only two options. Submit to tyranny or kill the deluded law enforcers. It would be far better for everyone if, before forcible resistance becomes necessary, the mercenaries of the state could be deprogrammed out of their delusion, so as to avoid the necessity of having to scare, hurt, or even kill them to stop them from committing evil. Author's personal note. The nicest thing you can do for anyone who has been duped into acting as a pawn for the oppression machine called government is to do whatever you can to persuade him to rethink his loyalty to the myth of authority. If all else fails, give him a copy of this book. As uncomfortable as it might be, you might be doing a lot of his potential future victims a huge favor. And you might even be doing the enforcer himself a huge favor by negating the need for one of his future intended victims to maim or kill him. A World Without Rulers One who has been deprogrammed looks out into the world, and instead of seeing hierarchies of different ruling classes with different jurisdictions, he sees a world of equals. Not in talent, ability, or wealth, of course, but in rights. He sees a world in which each person owns himself, and he comes to the realization that he has no rightful master, that there is no one above him, and that that is true of everyone else as well. He is beholden to no government, no country, and no law. He is a sovereign entity. He is bound by his own conscience and nothing else. Such a realization is incredibly freeing but also can be quite disturbing to those who have always measured their conduct by how well they obey others. Obedience not only is easy, as it allows someone else to make all the decisions, but it also allows the one who blindly obeys to imagine that the consequences, whatever they may be, are always someone else's responsibility. To have to figure out right and wrong and to know that you alone are responsible for your decisions and actions can feel like a huge burden. Essentially, losing the belief in authority means growing up, which has advantages and drawbacks. The undoctrinated person can no longer face the world as a carefree, irresponsible child, but at the same time he will possess a level of freedom and empowerment he could not have imagined before. Statists often have a deep-seated terror of the world in which every person decides for himself what he should do. Unfortunately for them, 
that is all that has ever existed, and all that ever will exist. Everyone already decides for himself what he will do. That is called free will. Many assume that if an individual is not bound by any authority, and has the attitude, I can do whatever I want, he will behave like a selfish animal. Some even imagine that they themselves would become animals if they were not governed by a master. Such a belief implies that people feel a strong moral obligation to do as they are told, but otherwise have no moral compass at all. But most people obey the law because they believe that it is good to do so. There is no reason to think that, without being subservient to a master, those same people would no longer care about being good. Yet many still imagine human beings to be stupid savages, kept in check only by controllers. So they expect that if unrestrained by the belief in authority, most people would become like unchained animals. Those who have given up the authority delusion know better. There are, of course, consequences to actions, with or without authority. Aside from moral issues, most people usually choose to behave in ways that do not incur the wrath of others. Even if no one believed in right and wrong, being a habitual thief or murderer would be dangerous, and finding ways to peacefully coexist benefits individuals and the group. But aside from that, most people try to be good. In fact, that is why they obey the law, because they were taught that doing so is good. The problem is not that people do not want to be good. It is that their judgment of what is good and what is bad is horribly twisted and perverted by the belief in authority. They are taught that funding and obeying a gang of thugs is a virtue, and resisting is a sin. They are taught that asking those thugs to rob and control their neighbors via legislation is perfectly moral and legitimate. In short, when it comes to authority, they are taught that good is evil and that evil is good. Initiating violence via the law is seen as good, and resisting such assaults, breaking the law, is seen as bad. Without the myth of authority, people would still have disagreements, and some people would still be malicious or negligent, and would still do stupid and hostile things. The main difference in how human beings would interact without the authority superstition is quite simple. If someone did not feel justified in doing something himself, he would not feel justified in asking someone else to do it, nor would he feel justified in doing it himself on someone else's behalf. The concept is so simple, almost to the point of sounding trivial, but would lead to a huge change in human behavior. For example, if someone would not feel justified in paying for his children's education by forcibly robbing his neighbors, he also would not feel justified in voting for a local government to impose a property tax to pay for public schools. And if someone would not feel justified in stealing his neighbor's property to fund a school, he would still not feel justified in doing so even if he was given a badge and told to do so in the name of law. As another example, if someone would not feel justified in kicking down someone's door and dragging him away, putting him in a cage for years, for having possessed a plant with mind-altering properties, then he would not feel justified in supporting anti-drug laws either. Nor would he suddenly feel justified in engaging in such trespassing, assault, and kidnapping 
just because some authority gave him a badge and told him to do so, in the name of some law. As yet another example, if someone would not feel justified using violence to keep a complete stranger from setting foot anywhere in an entire country, then he would still not feel justified in doing so if someone gave him an ICE badge, nor would he feel justified in supporting immigration laws, which instruct others to do so. In a society without the myth of authority, there would still be thieves, murderers, and other aggressors. The difference is that all of the people who view theft and murder as immoral would not advocate and condone legal theft and murder, which every statist now does. Again, to advocate any law is to advocate the use of whatever level of authoritarian force is required, up to and including deadly force, to achieve compliance. And the people who perceive theft and murder as immoral would not commit such acts simply because some authority or law told them to. How much of what police do on a daily basis would they do on their own, without a law or government telling them to? Very little. How much of what soldiers routinely do would they do on their own, without an authoritarian military leader telling them to? Very little. How much of what tax collectors do now would they do on their own, without any government telling them to? None of it. Everything good that the people who are called law enforcers now do, i.e. trying to stop genuinely hostile, destructive people from harming innocents, they could continue to do without the myth of authority, and they could do so out of the kindness of their hearts, or as a paid career. In the likely event that other people would want to voluntarily pay them for doing so, at the same time, everything bad that law enforcers and soldiers now do, e.g. terrorizing or shooting people that they know nothing about, aggressing against those who commit victimless crimes, detaining, interrogating, and assaulting complete strangers, most of them would stop doing. Very few people were assaulted, tortured, and murdered by the population of Germany as a whole, or the population of Russia as a whole, or the population of China as a whole, before the representative governments of those countries, under the regimes of Hitler, Stalin, and Mao, enacted laws pretending to legitimize such atrocities. But how many atrocities were committed after authority issued commands directing people to commit them? The numbers are staggering. Tens of millions murdered, hundreds of millions assaulted, oppressed, and tortured. Obviously, the people of those countries, in just about every other country, were far less inclined to commit acts of aggression on their own than they were to commit acts of aggression when commanded to do so by an imagined authority. Ironically, when faced with the concept of a purely voluntary society in which every service, even defense and protection, is funded by willing customers instead of by coercive taxation. Many statists predict that private security firms would evolve into new, abusive, oppressive governments, or that competing security companies would end up engaging in perpetual violent conflicts with each other. Such predictions fail to recognize that most people do not want to attack and rob their neighbors, and do not want to be attacked and robbed themselves. And it's only through the belief in authority that the majority ever feels okay about advocating robbery via taxation.
or ever feels obligated to go along with being attacked and robbed themselves via obeying the law. Without the notion that government has the rights that individuals do not, no malicious, aggressive private security firm would ever have popular support. If they were seen merely as private employees of average people, no one involved, neither the customers nor their hired protectors, would imagine the employees to have any right to steal, harass, terrorize, or do anything else that anyone else does not have the right to do. To look at it another way, and to make it more personal, imagine living in a world where none of your neighbors felt justified in advocating that you be taxed to fund things which you object to. Imagine if every cause, every plan, every program, every idea, every proposed solution to all sorts of problems was something you could either voluntarily support or not. Imagine living in a world where none of your neighbors felt that they had the right to forcibly impose their ideas, choices, and lifestyles upon you. They would feel justified, as they do already, in using force to stop you if you decide to attack them or rob them. But very few would feel good about committing any sort of aggression against you. Contrary to what most people assume, this is exactly what a world without rulers would look like. Each person would be guided by his own conscience, which could be thought of as self-imposed rules or self-government. Even though some people acting on their own would still make stupid or malicious choices and commit acts of aggression, no longer would anyone imagine that calling something a law or a rule could make an inherently unjustified act into something good. And if you were to resist such an act of aggression, your neighbors would praise you for doing so instead of condemning you as a criminal, which nearly all of them would do today if you resisted an act of aggression which happened to be legal. Thinking differently, talking differently. Many of the terms people use in the discussions that they have on a daily basis are based upon the assumption that authority can exist. By constantly hearing and repeating the superstition-based dogma, nearly everyone unwittingly reinforces the myth in their own minds and in the minds of those they talk to. Authoritarian propaganda is so ambiguous that it does not feel to the masses like a message at all. It just feels like talking about what is. Most of every history book is about who ruled what area when which authoritarian regime conquered another authoritarian regime, which individuals or political parties came to power, which forms of government and types of public policy various empires have had, and so on. They speak about elections, who wielded the power behind the scenes, what laws were passed, what taxes were imposed, and what the people thought about their leaders. The underlying premise which comes through loud and clear even if it is never openly stated, is that it is both inevitable and legitimate for there to be a ruling class, some variety of overlord with the right to forcibly control everyone else. That message continues to be a constant underlying theme of nearly everything written in the newspapers or broadcasted on radio or television. The news reports, whether local or national, talk about what legislation the representatives or congressmen have passed, what law enforcers did that day, 
what candidates are running for public office, what public policies they support, and so on. The way every bit of it is reported is heavily tainted by the superstition of authority. Of course, the way people think affects the way they talk. Each person is constantly expressing his own fundamental beliefs, even in seemingly trivial discussions. Compare how the same exact situation and events would likely be reported, first by one who believes in authority, and then by one who does not. With the Superstition Today, the local government of Springfield put into place a 4% increase in local building permit fees, the proceeds of which are intended to fund a program to provide certain medical assistance for the elderly. Without the Superstition Today, the local organized crime syndicate issued a formal threat to anyone doing construction or renovation in Springfield, demanding 4% more than the group previously demanded from such people. The thieves say they intend to give some of the money they seized to the elderly. When someone escapes the superstition of authority, his thought patterns and therefore his speech patterns change dramatically. He does not use the euphemistic terms which assign legitimacy to legal violence. He describes tax collectors as they actually are, professional extortionists. He describes law enforcers as they actually are, the politicians hired thugs. He describes laws as they actually are, threats from politicians. He does not proudly describe himself as a law-abiding taxpayer because he recognizes what that term actually means, one who allows himself to be robbed and controlled by the power-hungry megalomaniacs. Most statists have a hard time imagining a world in which there is no centralized machine attempting to control everyone else. However, some find it equally difficult imagining a world in which they themselves are not being forcibly controlled. The thought of looking out at the world and feeling beholden to no one, feeling no obligation to obey the laws of others, is utterly foreign to anything they have ever contemplated. As sad as it is, many people find it hard to even imagine a world in which there is no one they must bow to, no legislator they must subjugate themselves to, no law or rule that can ever outrank their own consciences. Such ideas are worlds away from what nearly everyone has been taught to believe, and accepting such a drastically different view of reality feels like a profound existential awakening. He who has escaped the myth says to himself something like this, Does any person, or any group of people, have the right to demand payment from me for something I did not ask for and do not want to fund? Of course not. If I am not committing aggression against anyone, via force or fraud, does anyone have the right to force me to make choices they wish I would make? Of course not. Do I have the right to resist such aggression? Of course I do. Does any person or any group of people possess any rights that I do not possess? Of course not. How and from where would they have gotten such rights? Do I at any time or at any place, under any circumstances, ever have an obligation to do anything other than what my own conscience dictates? Is there any situation in which decrees or laws of any supposed authority could ever obligate me, in any way, to any degree, to abandon my free will? 
or ignore my own sense of right and wrong? Of course not. Teaching Morality versus Teaching Authority It is commonly held that unless children are taught to respect and obey authority, they will be like wild animals, stealing, assaulting, and so on. But being obedient in and of itself merely means that, instead of the individual using his own judgment, he will defer to the judgment of those who seek and acquire positions of power. Some of the most immoral, corrupt, callous, malicious, dishonest people on earth. Training people to be merely obedient only prevents animalistic behavior if the supposed authority does not itself condone and command theft and assault, as every government in history has done in the name of taxation and law enforcement. Obviously, teaching obedience does not help civilization if those giving the orders are commanding the very behaviors that harm society, acts of aggression against innocence. The idea that widespread subservience is good for society rests upon the patently false assumption that people in positions of power are morally superior to everyone else. It should be self-evident that having most of the people disregard their own consciences, instead entrusting politicians to make their choices for them, is not going to make society any safer or more virtuous. Instead, it will simply legitimize the very acts that interfere with peaceful human coexistence. Consider the analogy of a robot which is programmed to do whatever its owner tells it to do. Whether productive or destructive, whether civilized or aggressive, this is akin to a child learning to respect authority. Whether the obedient robot or child ends up being a tool for destruction and oppression depends entirely upon who ends up giving the orders. If, instead, children are taught the principle of self-ownership, the idea that every individual belongs to himself and should not be robbed, threatened, assaulted, or murdered, then the supposed virtue of obedience is completely unnecessary. Consider which of the following is more likely to lead to a just, peaceful society. Billions of people being taught the basics of how to be moral human beings, e.g. the principle of non-aggression, or billions of people being taught merely to obey, in the hopes that the few people who end up in charge will happen to give good orders. If there is any difficulty imagining what would happen in the two scenarios, one need only look to history to see what has happened. Even randomly selected rulers, when given permission to forcibly control everyone else, will quickly be corrupted and will become tyrants. But average decent people are not the ones who desire power over others. The ones who seek to obtain power are usually already narcissists and megalomaniacs, people with a never-ending lust for power who love the idea of dominating others. And the desire for domination is never driven by a desire to help those who are being dominated, but always as a desire to empower the controller, at the expense of those whom he controls. Yet people continue to echo the claim that the average person, if guided purely by his own conscience, would be less trustworthy 
less civilized and less moral than if he sets aside his own conscience and just blindly does whatever the tyrants of the world tell him to do. If each person relied on his own judgment, that would, by definition, be anarchy. While widespread obedience to authoritarian tyrants, by definition, constitutes law and order. Note the drastic contrast between the usual connotations of those terms. Anarchy, sounding scary and violent. Law and order, sounding civilized and just. And the real-world results of following conscience versus following rulers. The level of evil committed by individuals acting on their own is completely dwarfed by the level of evil committed by people obeying a perceived authority. Though many imagine teaching obedience to authority to be synonymous with teaching right and wrong, the two are actually opposites. Teaching children to respect the rights of every human being and teaching them that committing aggression is inherently wrong is very important. But teaching them that obedience is a virtue and that respecting authority is a moral imperative will make them grow up to either advocate widespread, large-scale aggression or to participate in widespread, large-scale aggression. Every statist does one or the other, or both. In fact, teaching obedience dramatically hinders the social and mental development of children. After having grown up in a situation where they were controlled by others, rewarded for obedience and punished for disobedience, if they ever escape that situation they will have had little or no training and little or no experience or practice in how to think and act from morals and principles. Having never exercised their individual judgment and personal responsibility, knowing only how to do as they are told, they will be like trained monkeys that have escaped, but that have no way to cope with a life of freedom. If their upbringings have been molded mainly by controlling authority figures, People become existentially lost if that control vanishes. In short, people trained to obey authority do not know how to be independent, sovereign, responsible human beings because all of their lives they have been intentionally and specifically trained not to follow their own conscience and not to use their own judgment. So the indoctrinated, when they escape the one institutionalized control setting, school, hallucinate another authority to take its place, government. The escaped monkeys simply build a new cage and eagerly jump into it, because that is all they know and all they have ever known. In a world without the authority myth, on the other hand, children could be taught to be moral instead of merely obedient. They could be taught to respect people instead of respecting the inhumane, violent monster called government. They could be taught that it is up to them not only to do the right thing, but to figure out what the right thing is. As a result, they could grow up to be responsible, thinking, useful adults, members of a peaceful and productive community, instead of growing up to be little more than cattle on the farms of tyrants. No Master Plan if tomorrow, by some miracle, everyone in the world let go of the belief in authority, the vast majority of theft, assault, and murder in society would immediately cease. All wars would end, 
all robbery in the name of taxation would stop. All oppression carried out in the name of law would cease. The people as a whole, including the perpetrators, victims, and spectators of oppression, would no longer view such acts of aggression as legitimate. But there would be another, less immediate change as well. The belief in authority is, in essence, a psychological cage. It trains people to believe that they do not need to judge what is right and wrong. That they do not need to take it upon themselves to fix society. That all that is required of them is that they play by the rules and do as they are told while looking to the leaders and lawmakers to handle the problems of society. In short, the belief in authority trains people to never grow up, to always view the world as children view it. An incomprehensibly complicated place, that is, and will always be, someone else's responsibility. Whatever the problem, poverty, crime, disease, economic or environmental trouble, the indoctrinated statists are always on the lookout for some new leader to elect who will promise to fix things. In one way, a world of authoritarians functions exactly the way a kindergarten classroom does. If anything goes wrong, if anything outside the predictable pre-planned, centrally controlled agenda occurs, the children call the teacher to fix everything. The entire authoritarian environment of a classroom teaches the children that they are never in charge. It is never up to them to decide what to do. In fact, they are strongly discouraged from ever thinking or acting on their own. After all, if they were allowed to think and make their own decisions, the first decision most of them would make would be to walk out of the classroom. Likewise, the adult authoritarians are constantly told that one should not take the law into his own hands. The people are trained to call authorities whenever there is a conflict or other problem, and they meekly do whatever the government enforcers tell them to do. If there is any dispute between people, the people are told that they should always run to the masters, whether by calling the police or going to authoritarian courts to settle disagreements. When discussing societal challenges, the well-trained subjects of the state talk in terms such as they should pass a law or they should make a government program. They view their lives as part of a giant, centralized master plan. So it logically follows that if they want their lives improved, the solution is to petition the planners to change the plan. This view is so ingrained in the masses that many people literally cannot comprehend the idea of individuals living their lives without being part of anyone else's master plan. This is demonstrated by the common response authoritarians have to the idea of society without rulers. Almost without exception, a statist who ponders a stateless society will begin by asking how things will work without a ruling class. He does not simply ask this because he is curious about how roads, defense, trade, and dispute resolution and other things might function without government. He asks this because he has always been trained to view human existence inside the framework of some centralized, forcibly imposed master plan, and is literally incapable of thinking outside that paradigm. And so he will ask how things will work under anarchy, and will refer to it as a system, imagining it as a new type of master plan to be inflicted upon the masses. When, of course, it is the exact opposite, 
a complete lack of a centralized, forcibly imposed plan. But an overall plan for humanity is all that the statist has ever considered. And often, it is all that he has ever comprehended. The idea that no one will be in charge, that no one will be making the rules for everyone else, that no one will be planning or managing mankind as a whole, and that no one will be telling the status what to do, is simply something most authoritarians have never imagined. The concept is so unfamiliar that they do not even know how to process it. So they desperately try to fit the idea of anarchy, a stateless society, into the mold of a master plan. Such contradictory thinking is only reinforced by those who wear the label of anarcho-communist. The term implies that there would be no ruling class, and that society would be organized into a collectivist system. Of course, if some group claims the right to forcibly impose such a system on everyone else, that is authoritarianism, and so the anarcho part of the term would not apply. Another option is that those calling themselves anarcho-communists are merely hoping that, in absence of a ruling class, every single individual on the planet will freely choose to participate in communes or collectives, which, of course, would not happen. As a final possibility, perhaps the anarcho-communist would, for themselves, choose to be a part of a commune but would allow others to choose different arrangements. In the end, the term anarcho-communist makes little sense and is actually a symptom of authoritarianism. Even when advocating a stateless society, some people automatically imagine there must be some overarching system or plan, some grand scheme, some form of social management which must be imposed upon mankind as a whole. The truth is, with or without the myth of authority, no one can guarantee justice or prosperity, or predict everything that might occur, or know every problem that might arise, or how to solve them all. The difference is that those who believe in authority continue to pretend, despite constant overwhelming evidence to the contrary, that an authoritarian system of control can guarantee safety, security, prosperity, fairness, and justice. Meanwhile, those who give up on the most dangerous superstition no longer pretend that it is possible to control everything and everyone via any system. Bizarrely, despite the nearly incomprehensible degree of economic disaster, human suffering, and mass oppression which the belief in government has repeatedly caused, proponents of authoritarianism still insist that those who oppose statism must be able to describe in minute detail exactly how everything in society would work in the absence of government, so that nothing bad could possibly happen. And if they cannot, as of course no one can, the statist then proclaims that as proof that anarchy will never work. Rather than being a rational conclusion, such an idea is a symptom of deep-seated mental dependency and fear of the unknown. Statists want the promise that some all-knowing, all-powerful entity will take care of them and protect them from all possible misfortune, and from all of the bad people in the world. The fact that politicians have been making such promises forever, and have never actually once fulfilled such a promise, because the promise is patently ridiculous, does not stop statists from wanting to hear the promise, 
No matter how many times authoritarian solutions fail horrendously, most people still think that some other government plan is the only answer. What they want is the guarantee that some all-powerful entity outside of themselves will make sure that their lives are comfortable and safe. They do not seem to care or even notice that such guarantees never come true, and that anyone claiming the power to make such a guarantee is either an amazingly bold liar or lunatic. Nonetheless, because anarchists and voluntarists would never make the absurd promise that, without government, nothing bad will ever happen, most statists remain terrified of the idea of a stateless society. Author's Personal Note I have found that whenever the topic of a stateless society comes up in my discussions with statists, almost without fail, they begin asking questions in the passive voice, How will this get done? How will that be handled? They speak as if, even when it comes to their own lives, they are little more than spectators waiting to see what will happen. This is because, for many of their formative years, especially while in school, they were little more than spectators. The scripts of their lives were written by others. Their destiny was determined and decided by authority, not by themselves. So, in an effort to get them to escape that mindset, when they ask me something like, under anarchy, how will this be dealt with? I respond, how would you deal with it? When they ask, what would be done about this potential problem? I ask, what would you do about it? And they can usually come up with ideas off the top of their heads that are better than any authoritarian solution. The problem is not that they are incapable of being in charge of themselves, their futures, and in fact, the future of the world. The problem is that it has just never occurred to them that they are already in charge of themselves, their futures, and the future of the world. One who understands that authority is a myth does not have any obligation to explain how every aspect of a free society would work, any more than someone who says Santa Claus is not real has some obligation to explain how Christmas would work without him. However, Statists often insist, as a condition of even considering the possibility of a stateless society, that someone tell them how every aspect of everyone's life will work without government. Of course, no one knows, with or without the myth of government, everything that might happen. And it is absurd to cling to a provably false, self-contradictory myth, which itself has led to large-scale murder, extortion, and oppression, just because someone failed to describe in detail a perfect world without the myth. People can make suggestions or predictions about how different aspects of a free society would work without the involvement of authority. And many scholarly treatises do exactly that. But once someone truly understands the insanity inherent in the belief in authority, he will never go back to accepting the myth regardless of what he thinks might happen without it, any more than an adult would go back to believing in Santa Claus because he does not know whether Christmas would work without him.